0: This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Writing Project. OWP supports teachers from all over Ohio and celebrates the professionalism, expertise, and talent of our state's educators. Ohio Writing Project, teachers teaching teachers. of the Ohio Writing Project. My name is Noah Waspe and welcome to our summer series. This summer we have partnered with the Ohio Council of Teachers of English Language Arts, also known as OCTELLA, to share some older interviews that I did back when I did a podcast for the organization. OCTELLA, that is. The podcast was called Speaking and Listening and I got to interview so many amazing, amazing teachers. So I reached out to one of the board members of the organization and I asked if it would be okay if we started rebroadcasting, sharing some of those old episodes here in our podcast feed. And that's what we're going to be doing this summer. We're going to be sharing some of these interviews that I got to do with some brilliant teachers. And the first interview I did just happened to be Smokey Daniels. And we will get to that interview in just a moment. But first, I'm going to be sharing a poem called Victim to Victor. And it's by a member of the Ohio Writing Project community. Her name is Heidi Lamar. Victims of deadly violence of all kinds leads to voices shouting in the streets. Vehement crowds coming together to sing. Songs sung about the fight. It. I'm proud of who I am today. Woman, mother, daughter, teacher, friend. Strong, brave, sensitive, unique. Not always right, not always wrong, but always one who loves another, who fights for the weak with my words, not my fists, who stands in support of those who feel invisible. So just one little caveat about these interviews that I'm gonna be sharing. They're from several years ago. These interviews took place before we even knew what a pandemic could really be. These interviews took place before the weirdness of 2020 and 2021 and the awfulness and also maybe some of the good things, but these interviews took place in a different time is what I'm trying to say. But we know that, especially from this year of teaching, that good teaching is good teaching no matter the situation. There are certain core values. There are certain things that make an educator reach students that can happen In almost any situation and that's why I'm really excited to share this interview with Smokey Daniels he does so much work he's been one of the leading voices in the field of inquiry work of literacy of social emotional learning and we need this kind of teaching now maybe more than ever so let's get to it here's my interview from the speaking and listening podcast with Smokey Daniels
1: yeah I often tell people there's there's three ways you know the number one question teachers have when folks start talking about inquiry is okay, this all sounds great, but how do I find time for this? My day is full I don't have I don't have like hours of the day that are just fallow, you know, sitting aside, yeah, we don't do anything between one fifteen and two thirty we just sort of sit around, you know, so the days are packed, and so I usually say there's three ways to get time for inquiry, and one of the ways to do it, and the bread-and-butter way, probably always going to be the main way, is by turning the official curriculum into questions that kids can't resist answering. Mm -hmm. So we try to questionize the curriculum, and sometimes that means, well, one of the signature things about that is, without instead of plunging into it, instead of saying, read Chapter 7 on Westward Expansion, is to say, what do you wonder about that time in our history when people started settling the West and there were these things called Manifest Destiny and all that kind of stuff? What do you what have you heard about it? What do you know? What do you wonder? What do you what do you want to know? And we begin any curricular unit by making a, a deal, a compact with the kids, where we we first ask them what do you want to know about it. And a lot of times we have to do some background knowledge building mm-hmm. too to get them to be able to ask good questions and. But it, 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 that's just the beginning of turning the curriculum into an inquiry project instead of something kids just submit to. So that's the first way to get time for inquiry is change the way we teach the curriculum. The second way to get time for inquiry is by NOAA setting aside just what you were talking about, protected chunks of time, whether it's genius hour, 20% time. We have one we call soft starts. Somebody uh, just told me the other day they started doing something called tinker time, um, where we set outside 10 minutes or 20 minutes or a day or a half, a half an hour on Tuesdays and Thursdays or an hour on Friday, whatever. But we, we build these chunks of time in the day, and we name them, and we set them aside, and we make them separate. And this is these are times when we are committing ourselves to work on kids' own questions, to have kids investigating topics they really care about. And then the last time, the last kind, the third kind a way to get get fine time for, for inquiry is when that stuff comes through the door and you just have to go for it you know you just have to drop everything you planned um, and and make it happen and sometimes those are if you have individual kids questions, then maybe you don't have to drop everything and and uh, you know, you can always have the kid park it on the wonder wall, come back to it later. Mm-hmm. But when there are things that, that affect everybody or evoke okay, everybody's curiosity, we just go ahead and go for it. I'll tell you one story, my in one of the schools in the book, um the it was in the spring and the teacher was just, just starting to talk about spring things and so I asked the kindergartners what do they know what do they notice about the spring?
0: And somebody said,
1: There's bees out. And they started. They wanted to draw pictures of bees. They started drawing bees, and and then one of the kids said, turned to another kid and said, "What color are bees' wings?" And some getting some advice on how to draw. And the kid says, "White." And so the other kid starts drawing the wings white. And then some (laughs) other kid says, "No, they're not white. You can see through them. They can't be white." And the teacher. Looks at this, and she just makes a game time decision. And meanwhile, the literacy coach was standing at the door, sort of laughing at enjoying this. So they just decided on this for the moment uh, to go for it. And they, after lunch, the kids came back, and the room was filled with books about bees and insects of all kinds. And played a couple videos, and they got into the whole topic of you know, let's really understand how insects' wings look and how they work, you know. And that was that was a teacher decision. Like, the topic was hot and the season was right you know let's go for it so that's yeah, the that, those are the ways people find time for inquiry and, and uh it makes a lot it makes teaching really fun i think when you are open to responding to those kinds of opportunities
0: yes so so one thing i'm curious about having read this book it's a it's a different kind of uh, format than what i i don't know what i expect sometimes from a a teaching kind of book mm-hmm. um what was this book's
1: origin story? Well, the origin story was um, pretty simple, really. It's getting to be almost five years ago now. That by, there, were, there, were, there were about 13 or 14 schools that cooperated on this book, but there are three of them that I spent a ton of time in, and they were all districts where I was already working as a consultant, you know, helping out with stuff. And But these, all these schools were making a big commitment to doing this kind of inquiry learning in their classrooms. So I started going also then as a researcher, and I would just go out there and visit classrooms and hang around with kids and talk to the teachers, see what was going on. And uh, so this came from um, all that time that I spent in those schools. One of them, as a matter of fact, was on state probation when we started this. Mm-hmm. So it was an interest, interesting assortment of schools, the common thing being they had all made this commitment to what to, uh, we call student-directed inquiry. And... So the book is composed not of me talking about Mm -hmm. a list of things you should do, left, right, upside down, you know, but rather classroom stories from teachers at all grade levels from, you know, from kindergarten up uh, up to um, sixth, just telling in their own words, or the way it worked. either they would write it up or they would tell me the story and I would write it up and then they would edit it, but the teachers were really the authors of each of these stories in the book. And they were just great examples of how teachers took small steps to move away from traditional sort of skill and drill or, you know, teach and test instruction and turn more responsibility over the kids, honor kids' own wonderings more and more, and gradually extend the amount of time that they felt comfortable to. One of the things I totally have seen proven to my very eyes is that When you release your control as a teacher and allow kids to investigate stuff they really care about, what happens right away is they start demonstrating, they start proving to you how responsible they will be if you just let them do stuff they want to do. And it's the ultimate virtuous cycle, you know. And then you say, well, I guess I don't have to limit this to five minutes. We could do it for 20 minutes. And uh, so the book is full of stories about how specific teachers took – you know, small, manageable steps to gradually devote more time and create the structures that would support their kids to be doing a lot more research and investigating on topics that they're choosing. So,
0: how did you first get into? Uh, I mean, obviously, I don't know how to ask this question even. I, I'm trying to work work it out on the fly. Um, how? how did you get into inquiry to begin with? Like, uh, was there a certain moment in your teaching where you had, like, that uh, Peter Parker gets a spider bite and it's painful, but then he realizes that this is going to be a magical power, or was it... <laughs> no, this was... This mine,
1: was <laughs> mine was pain-free. No, I trust so, me, there was no pain involved. Because mine was super I was, painful. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a lucky guy. See, that I... I started this, I hate that your listeners are going to have to hear this, but I started teaching in 1969. And 1969 was the height of a great wave of interest in progressive teaching and various inquiry models. And there were gurus like Jerome Bruner and Neil Postman and people like that who were sort of showing the way to have classrooms that were what we would now call more inquiry-based. So I grew up with that. Those are my models when I was a kid. So when I was teaching, and I'm, you know, I am a recovering high school teacher. I have to admit that. But I, uh, when I was first teaching, um, myself and my colleagues, we were doing all this kind of stuff. Kids were doing research projects. We were doing simulations, mock trials, all sorts of drama stuff. Um, and this was in city schools where. Um, you know, usually the principal had no idea what we were up to, which is probably probably a good thing. But so I've just clung to this my whole my, I've clung to this my whole life, really. So this is always inquiry. Is um, you know, I was a person that you know, I was a person. I was a kid who hated school all the way through. I really didn't like school, and when the reason I didn't like it, I I thought was because it was so boring, and it was always people coercing me to do stuff and never. Asked me what I wondered, and and that bothered me. And initially one of the reasons I became a teacher was to try to bring this other kind of approach to, so other kids wouldn't be, be as bored and disaffected as I was. Most people who become teachers become teachers because they were, were great students, had a great time in school, and they got a lot of rewards. And, and, you, and then you end up saying, well, why would I want to go anywhere else? <laughs> school is great. <laughs> but for me, I came back to blow it up, basically, So for whatever that's worth.
0: That's cool. So, with back at, into the book, this is a little bit of a kind of a geeky question. So, thank you in advance for humoring me with this one. I'm always... Um, well,
1: I'm, I'm not guaranteeing <laughs> I'll hear you. We'll try.
0: Well, yeah, I, I was thanking you in advance to encourage you to humor me, I guess.
1: <laughs>
0: um, so, I love the, the format, just the way the book is set up with the, uh, the what, why, and how long. Um, that you open each chapter with, and then you have you'll open with an explanation and then a try this. and then you get into like the stories of teachers where it kind of leaves the story and gives you an example. almost like a, if it were a piece of writing instead of a piece of teaching, it would be a mentor text. And then you debrief debrief at the end and we have the sketch note. How did can you tell me about how that how you came to that format? Sure.
1: Sure, yeah, definitely. I'm really glad you noticed all those details because we kind of slaved over the format. Well, um, you know, I knew I, I knew it was going to be a book that was going to be teaching by story rather than teaching by lists or teaching by particular lessons that I might write. And I've written a lot of other books, and some many of them are in that format. But this one, I just thought the stories, the teaching stories from these classrooms were so powerful, and you're right. Every single one of them, you know, provides an example of something you can try. I mean, it's written as a story, but it's full mm-hmm. of practical possibilities. And uh, and the part of that is we love the design of this book. This is my first full color book, and the designers mm-hmm. at Heinemann went completely nuts with that. So, <laughs> so we had a couple of photographers that were helping us out through the project. And and the thing at the end, people love these sketch notes, and I yes. just tell you a little bit about that for people you know who are listening don't know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I have a dear friend called Tanny McGregor, and she lives in Cincinnati, and she's a uh, Heinemann author also. Comprehension Connections is one of her great books. And she's a person who uses, um, she makes little sketches, or when she's taking notes at a workshop or an event, instead of just writing down words, she draws all kinds of uh, stars and bars and arrows and decorations, uses lots of different color pens and, it's come to be this thing people call sketch notes. So when I, I knew it was the first idea I had with this book, actually, Noah, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if every time I write a chapter like one through ten, I've, I first thing I do is I send it to Tani and then she reads the book. so she read the chapter, and then she would make her own notes about her own thinking about that chapter. So it's not a chapter summary, it's the it's another teacher demonstrating what went off in their mind when they read this chapter. And people just love this. I mean, I adore the whole idea, and I knew people would like it, but they really responded so well. And, and so people are picking up the strategy of sketchnoting in addition to the ideas that are in the notes. And last on that, um, Tanny's doing a whole book on using sketchnotes in your teaching. And it's going to come out, I think, in the spring, so not quite... Uh, not as soon as I might like, but anyway it's it's gonna be out there and she's and she's awesome thanks for asking that well
0: i mean it the book was just the ideas are just absolutely lovely because it the book uh it, it it's a nice entry point into inquiry if you aren't already doing mm-hmm. inquiry, but also if you all if you do a lot of inquiry, it helps you it, it's helping me. Um, really just tighten up the different kinds of structures and walk kids up the staircase of inquiry complexity instead of just jumping in. Yeah, um, But yeah. the the book itself, just the way that it's written, I, it was just making my brain light up in all these different ways. It, it breaks the information into these really... Like, inquiry for a lot of teachers, I imagine, would be overwhelming, especially if you are yeah. dealing with a prescribed curriculum. Yeah, but the way the sure. book chunks the information is it's easy to digest. And then the ideas themselves are easy to implement. It's just I like, so I'm interested to know, I'm also interested to know what, how you came up with this idea to walk teachers into, through
1: different levels of inquiry.
0: How did, how did you happen upon that?
1: Well, you know, that's, that's, that's such a great question. You know, I wanted the book to be there's a, there's a um, little saying that I often use, at least for myself, when I'm trying to think about, you know, writing a book like this, and I, I always want to try to help teachers find whatever is the next step for them, you know, and we're all on a journey with, you know, our pedagogy and the rep, repertoire that we have, and, 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 and especially in terms of inquiry, you know, people are at a lot of stages. There are people who are just stick, dipping their toe in the water, mm-hmm. right? and then there are people who have been doing it for a while, and are kind of, like you said, working their way up a little bit of a ladder. So the book is somewhat organized in that way. I mean, it it definitely starts with the most simple and basic things and works its way up to things that are a little more challenging. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, but I did want to give people a ladder, give them some steps. For for example, you know, um, the the first chapter in the book tells about, you know, if you want to have a curious classroom where kids are, asking and seeking answers to their own questions the first thing you have to do is show them your curious life yourself so that's the mm-hmm. first thing you have to do and how hard is that you come in in the morning you go hey, kids you won't believe this i'm reading this unbelievable book it's about the pueblo indians and, and, and it turned out that they would live, first they lived under the ground and then they started building these big apartment buildings let me show you some pictures of that And i'm really enjoying this you know grown-up nonfiction book but i'm sharing with you and i'm letting you feel the excitement that I have about this this reading. So, you know, five minutes. You do this in five minutes. And that's the simplest way to, get, to start building this climate of inquiry is to be sharing your own curious life with kids, and then they can do that too. And so that was like step number one. Anybody can do this. You can, you can do it in two minutes. You know, walk into your classroom, and during the opening part of the day, you can do that. And then so you work your way up. To you know, more complex structures and strategies, and and toward the end, the one you mentioned earlier. No, what what do we do when we have problems occur in the classroom? That's when we have to put all of our skills as inquiry teachers and leaders together to to make it work with kids. Um, I just tell you, just for fun, for for you know, for your listeners, one of the most popular chapters in the book is one called Soft Starts, Mm -hmm. and and that's an idea that I was actually using in my own teaching. I didn't even recognize it when I sixth grade here in San Jose, But the idea is of instead of having the kids come in at the beginning of the day and barking orders at them, you know, get to work, do this <laughs> worksheet, here's, here's the sponge activities, you yeah. know, to have the day start instead with the kids in the driver's seat where the kids decide for themselves from an approved menu of options, things that they can do, that they can look up something they want to investigate, that they can read a book they want to read, that they can talk quietly with people they want to talk to. And we've had a a lot of success with that. That's been one of the things that people uptake from the book. You know, lots of schools around the country are, I just finished plowing through my email for today from people (laughs) talking about different kinds of soft starts they are inventing. So as I say, it's a and as you as you see it, it's a it's a continuum that allows people to find the next step for them. And,
0: and that chapter on soft char- soft starts was, it was a, a game changer for me too. Just for what it's worth, it's um, I I was always a little I've always been a little selfish in some ways. Like I would have I would do we would do our inquiry work at the end of class because it gives me something to look forward to as a teacher <laughs> gives kids yeah. something to look forward to. but um i noticed when i started doing it at the beginning of class you're absolutely right those soft starts it just sets a better tone for the day
1: yeah it, it really does seem to and uh you probably know my my, maybe my very favorite story in the book is about a fifth grade uh four fifth-grade classrooms in a school in Des Moines. That's one of the featured ones in the book. And they, um, the fifth-grade teachers thought the kids were coming lethargic and grumpy and they didn't want to go to work. So they said, well, let's do something much more fun, like have a dance party. So they got this idea of having dancing. And all that. these teachers happen to be pretty happening, <laughs> young women, and they love <laughs> to dance. And so they, they started this thing. Well, the kids don't have to dance. You know, they can make sure. art, they can talk to each other, they can do, but they can snake in and out of all four or fifth grade classrooms. So when the door opens, the kids come in and they go wherever they want to go. You know, your friends might not be in your homeroom, right? So you have to go check in with all your friends and they'll do conga lines dancing up and down the hall. And it's, it's very counterintuitive when you say this because it's loud, it's energetic, and then and people come in and visit and go, What the heck is this? You know, <laughs> is this really safe? And, uh, and then what happens is then the teachers built it so when that fifteen minutes of blowing off steam is uh, and greeting and all that goes into in that when that's over, then they have another fifteen minutes of total silence where the kids settle down to quiet individual work that's precho that they pre choose from categories that are that are offered. And what you get is you get a complete cool down and by the time the kids have gone through this of saying hi to everybody, running around a little bit, dancing some and so forth they're so ready to go to work. And it's just, it was a great application of developmental theory, you know? Maybe the thing with early adolescence isn't just to keep the cork in it all day long, but just let them blow it out at the beginning And maybe they'll have the stamina to get to the end of the day, which is exactly what they're finding out there. So there's a million kinds that's soft started and that's That's soft, isn't it? (laughs) That
0: is. That is a jump start more than a soft start. There you go. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
1: I'll use that forever.
0: Back to this interview, I was so excited for all these amazing reminders that I can use to keep my classroom curious this fall. And I hope that it was the same for you. I want to give a really big thank you to Octella for letting us get into the archives and re release these episodes. Be sure to check out Octella if you aren't already aware of the organization's amazing work, and they have a spring conference, and they have a journal, and it's just a, an amazing professional community. The Ohio Council of Teachers of English Language Arts. Be sure to check out our show notes for more information about Octella. And also, of course, be sure to check out the show notes for ways that you can be in, more involved or stay involved or get involved with the Ohio Writing Project. OWP has so much stuff going on this summer, and they have so much PD that is going on this fall, OWP is going to be putting on a fall conference. They're going to be working with lots and lots of schools. And if your school isn't already one of them, check out the show notes and see how you can bring OWP to your school. So that's about it. Thank you so much for tuning in to Write Answers.